Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words, your vision that you gave to your servant John. Please, would you be the one that teaches us this evening, give us minds to concentrate and eyes to see and hearts to know you and our world around us um, better, that we might honour you and be the people that you would have us to be. Amen. So you've noticed we're taking Revelation in fairly big chunks. We want to attempt to get the the flavour of it, the sweep of it, the movement of it. And there are lots of details. So we're at chapters 8 through to 11, and there are loads of details there that we probably can't cover. So if you have lots of questions afterwards, then do come and chat to me. That would be great. Um, We can double our questions, and we can talk about that together. So we'll we'll try and work through um, just to see um, the main thread of what John is saying. And this week we're tackling the the trumpets in the same way that we tackled the seven seals, because they work in a similar way. There's um, there's seven of them, so you you can see already that they're similar. They work in a similar way. If you just track back a little bit further, back to um, chapters four and five, you'll remember that that John has seen a a scroll that no one could open. So that's what the seals are, are, are sealed up, this scroll, which contains... Um, if you like, God's plan, his oversight, the, his authorities and decrees over all history. He's the one in control uh, and opening and breaking those sails. It shows that, that, that he has that control. No one is worthy but Jesus, the lamb who was slain. But we haven't really seen the scroll open yet. I don't know if you caught that. We've just been opening the seals, haven't we? One by one. And we're not quite going to get there yet um, in, in the bit that we've just read. Right at the very end, we, we get a bit of a, a, a very brief run-through of what's in the scroll, and then we'll see that even more in a, in a bigger context as we come to chapter 12 um, uh, in a week. So we've not quite got there, but if you can a- imagine that the, these seven trumpets, they come from um, the sixth, uh, the seventh um, seal, if that makes sense. So they're sort of part of the seventh seal, so they're kind of it's like a Russian doll thing. You kind of go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What's in number seven? Oh, seven more things. Seven. So you imagine here's our scroll, and you take up the first seal, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth. And as, it, as it's done, done so, uh, John has seen a vision that's prepared us to understand um, what God is doing with history. And then there's that seventh one. Uh, and then what happens? Uh, well, chapter eight. Verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So we're going to go back round again, looking at this um, period in history, now, that is the last days, from a slightly different perspective. Um, we could see from the slide, which might, we didn't have the last time. I've used a terrible cover there. I'm sorry, you can't see that very well. Um, so seal one, two, three, and four, they were troubles in the final age. And then we saw that in seal five, there was distress of believers. And we, and we looked at the martyrs crying out. And then that seal number six, the end comes. That's sort of the beginning of the end. And then John pauses. So we, we kind of hold back on that seventh one to, to think, what about the church? And we saw that ultimately the church will be safe in, in all of its number. 
So similarly, the trumpets work in a similar way. One, two, three, four, five, troubles in the final age. But this time, look at the, the slight differences. Trumpet five is distress of unbelievers. We'll come to that. Um, and then the end comes. It gets intensified. But then John pauses to think about, well, what about the church? And what we'll see that, that John is showing us is that the church is God's witness in this time. So we'll, we'll come to that. And do you remember last time we, we said that Revelation um, uses imagery to, to teach us? So that apocalyptic literature reveals things, um, what we might call ordinary things, things that are happening in extraordinary ways so that we understand them more. So the imagery, it's like poetry or painting. It's actually designed to show us more truths, not less. So they're not designed to confuse that they are designed to get at some sort of truth, which kind of normal, perhaps, propositions and words don't quite do. Um, I came across a really good uh, quote uh, from one of the commentators in this book, um, and he says this, One of the functions of Revelation was to purge and to refurbish the Christian imagination. It recognises the way a dominant culture, with its images and ideals, constructs the world for us so that we perceive and respond to the world in its terms. Moreover, it unmasks this dominant construction of the world as an ideology of the powerful which serves to maintain their power. Revelation offers a different way of perceiving the world which leads people to resist and to challenge the effects of the dominant ideology. So he's saying the world has uh, there's, there's dominant classes, if you like, which fill our world with imagery and it shapes our culture. And Revelation's giving us um, what is really going on. To give the church the, the firepower and the, and the inspiration, if you like, to resist it. And the immediate context, you remember that John's writing in the first century, is the Roman Empire. So some of the things in their very, very recent history, just a matter of couple of years ago or so, the Emperor Nero, incredible tyrant, and uh, often um, has been written about um, being someone who persecutes Christians. And most people think um, that at the time of writing, actually Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius erupting, that would have been perhaps in recent memory. Uh, and it's quite possible as well that this is just after AD 70 with the complete ransacking of Jerusalem. So you imagine you live in a world where you've got a Roman Empire with hundreds and thousands of armed soldiers. They're the, they're the task force marines of the day. And you've got Vesuvius and Nero and, and Jerusalem being sacked. And you're thinking, what is going on? And actually, perhaps some of this resonates. And so Revelation is to encourage that victory in faith in Jesus' churches to the end. Because it shows us what is going on behind these things in the world. Some of you of a certain vintage might remember the film The Matrix, and it's actually quite old, but I don't mind mentioning it now because I think last year or a year or two ago, they actually brought a new one out, so semi-relevant. But if you haven't seen it, in, in the film The Matrix, it's this idea that the character Neo discovers that actually the world he's living in, which is our world, is actually a computer generation. And the real world is a complete dystopia and everyone has been put to sleep in pods as batteries and, and the world is sort of beamed into their head. 
Now, this one character gets to kind of break the system and see what the world is really like. So you'll get scenes like this in the film. Um, let's uh, go on to here. Here we go. So you'll get to, so he gets to see behind it. There's all the code. That's what the world really is in the Matrix. It's just code. So in a similar way, that's what John is doing. You say, look, look that's, you know the world as you see it. You, you see regimes, you see natural disasters, you see evil. Well, let's just pick away and see it as God sees it. And it, it is God's, part of God's, um, what Paul calls in Romans, his, his wrath revealed at the moment, not his final judgment, but his, his wrath revealed at the moment. In Romans 1.18, Paul says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So that's what's going on, and we'll, we'll see this in, in a couple of points. Um, we'll go back there. So in chapters 8 and 9, John is showing us that the peril of unbelief and the failure of these warnings. That's really what he's showing us, that the peril of unbelief and the failure of these warnings. So first of all, in chapter 8, there's the first four trumpets, and they're grouped a bit like the first four seals, and they do a similar thing. But here, the focus is on a sort of creation under curse. It's not um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse unleashed in their... Um, uh, death and uh, economic injustice and all the things that we looked at. This is more um, creation under curse. So have a look down with me at verse 7 of chapter 8. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like it a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea was turned into blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky and on the third of the rivers and the, third of the, and the springs of water the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So there's quite a bit of a mishmash of things going on. So if we've been reading our Bibles, it, it's a little bit like Exodus plague-ish kind of language, which is in there as well. So this, that sort of uh, shows the, the judgment of God. As, as creation is under curse, isn't it, after the fall. And in fact, I think there's perhaps something else going on, that there's a, a hint of a decreation. Um, if you look, look down at the order of it, so the first trumpet has the earth, which was burned up, and the second one is the, the sea, which gets turned to blood. And the third angel, that talks about the rivers and springs of water. And then the fourth angel talks the sun, the moon, and the stars. If you go back to, to Genesis chapter 1, I think that reads almost like a reversal, which starts with the sun and the stars and the, uh, and the waters and then the sea and then the earth. But this is sort of going backwards. So there's a picture of a kind of decreation that is going on. And did you notice that it, it intensifies? So last time when we looked at the seals, it was a quarter. That was the big number that came out, a quarter, a quarter. So it's a lot, but it's not the majority in here. 
if, if you, uh, when we had it read, you could hear a third, a third, a third. So there's, it's increasing. So it's still not the majority and it's still not everything that is, that is under that curse and, and judgment. So it's not all or even the majority of the earth, but it certainly seems worse here. But we'll, 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 we'll leave that and move on. We're going to get to the fifth trumpet in chapter 9. The angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from sky to the earth and the star was given key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. In the fifth seal, we saw the martyrs crying out under distress. But here, did you notice in, in verse 4, it seems that John is drawing our attention to, to the idea of this um, distress and this sense of particular harm and evil coming toward unbelievers. So, verse 4, they did not have, um, they were told to harm the grass of the earth, any plant of the tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So here's a picture of, um, of evil and demonic forces against those that do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And we've seen that the, the great star, perhaps that that's fallen there in, in verse 1 of chapter 9, perhaps referring to the devil, or maybe um, that is in verse 11, um, the destroyer. And he is the one cast down, and he is the one that controls the abyss, and he is the one that controls all these uh, forces. Well, that shouldn't make us breathe a sigh of relief. At least I've got the seal of God on my forehead because I trust Jesus. It should make us shudder. And it should make us weep, shouldn't it? So remember that the, the imagery here is, is to sort of reveal a, a truth. And there's some quite odd and, well, no other word for it, but just nasty imagery, I would say. Now, I was thinking through some of the um, cartoons and toys and bits and bobs that our boys are into. And I, I noticed this. Here are a whole load of baddies. Now, the kids get this. Kids get the imagery of Revelation. And can you notice something there? That these, these baddies, they're not just creatures. They're sort of hybrid, nasty, unnatural creatures. See, our boys get this, that when you kind of splice animals together and, and it's all kind of monstrous and that you have a, um, a kind of praying mantis snake thing there and a ant with a human face on and a wolf with a scorpion's tail. They are they're meant to repulse. That, that's what they're meant to do. And that, that's exactly, I think, what this imagery is supposed to do. So there's power like that of scorpions. 
Verse 7, have a look. They're locusts that look like horses prepared for battle. How, how can you even get your head around what that is supposed to be? A locust that's a horse. And if that's not bad enough, well, on their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resemble human faces. So they're locusts that are like horses, and they've got human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings, they've got wings, and they were like thundering many horses and chariots rushing. And then they had tails with stings like scorpions. So can you see it's piled on? How are you even meant to understand this or, or think of it other than just it's a sort of repulsion? You get a similar idea in, in the book of Daniel when he sees the monsters that come out with different heads and different parts of animals because that's what the, um, the, the kingdoms of the earth are like. And you can well imagine, I think, that original readers thinking, yeah, actually, maybe that is a good description of Rome and all this stuff that's going on. Trumpet number six just intensifies this, really. So... With the last one, they were not allowed to, to, to kill them. Death eluded them. But here there are four angels released, perhaps reminiscent of the angel of death, the, the plague in Egypt, released to kill a third of mankind. So there is death. There is death. It's a limited number. It's not the whole, but it's significant, isn't it? And again, we're reminded of the forces behind it. Verse 16, the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. I think that's that 200 million. That's an astonishing amount. I mean, you imagine the first century, perhaps we're used to thinking of, of bigger numbers now. I've heard it said that um, there are more people alive on the earth now than there perhaps were between the dawn of time and Jesus' time. I don't know how true that is, but it does capture something of, of the kind of the magnitude of the numbers now and perhaps what numbers might have been like then. And getting your head around, you wouldn't have been in a stadium with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people as perhaps we might be now. But here's John with an astonishing number um, that is uh, part of these evil and demonic forces. And this, this, this imagery, it's not chronological. It is set within that time period and, it, and it's kind of layered up for us. So it's not this will happen and then this thing and then this will happen as if we had to track the years. And uh, as some people have done, have said, well, that, that the locusts that, that are whirring around, they're obviously Apache helicopters and it was to, to, to do with Vietnam, whatever it might have been. It's not like that. These are just layered imagery of the sorts of things that go on in our world before Jesus comes back and behind it is this evil and demonic power. That's what um, John is, is telling us. So th there, is, there is death at the hands um, of these creatures as John has shown them to us. But verse 20 of chapter 9 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood that cannot see 
hear or walk. They do not repent of their murders, of their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their theft. That's the shocking twist that there's all this stuff going on in, in a fallen and broken world that has rejected God and killed his son and yet there's still no repentance. Because the human heart and, and, and yours and mine is the same outside of the grace of God, isn't it? Will push against God and, and reject him. And what, what does it take for God to, to wake us up? Pandemic, war, earthquakes. I mean, what, what will it take? There will be those that do not repent. That is the shock. And we should we should weep at that. That you know the world is not um, is not going okay and slowly going to get better. That's not the biblical view. Uh, but neither is it the view that we should panic if everything's getting worse or on the brink. Life is just like that before the Lord Jesus returns. And some people, uh, according to John, seem like they're sleepwalking into the abyss, or perhaps even purposefully rejecting God. Uh, did you notice that? Uh, the, the devil is not on the side of unbelievers. Sometimes you might hear people say, well, I don't care for Jesus, I don't care for God, because, you know, the devil has more fun and he's got the best chance. No. He is after them because they're made in the image of God. He hates them, just as he hates anyone made in the image of God. And he'll take as many people down with him as he can. That's quite a lot of imagery and ideas that are pretty repulsive and quite nasty of, of what might be going on in our world. But I think John is using this to spur us on. So, chapters 10 and 11... The peril of unbelief and the failure of warnings, they spur us on to be God's unfailing witness. So just like the, the seals, John bring, brings us to the brink of the end, and then he pauses to think about, okay, what about the church? And in chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another mighty angel. So another mighty angel. Where was the first mighty angel? Well, the first mighty angel was in chapter 5, verse 2, and that's the mighty angel with the, with the scroll itself. So there's a link up there. So the mighty angel is the, is the scroll angel. So probably the, the same scroll, or perhaps here it looked like a, a miniature edible version of that scroll. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. And I guess it would look quite little because this angel is huge. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Verse 4, and the seven thunders spoke, and I was about to write, but I heard a voice say from heaven, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So it, I think it's a little bit like, there's some, is there some more judgment? We've had seven seals, seven trumpets, right, seven thunders. And I think the idea is, is uh, no, 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 we're not going to go there, because more judgment is not the answer we need. We don't need any more of that, because no one's repenting. So we, 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 need, we pause, that is not what's going to happen. Verse 5, the angel I had 
had seen standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and there will be no more delay. And and he's handed this 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 scroll. Go and take the scroll, verse six, that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel. He gave me the scroll and he said, take and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will taste sweet as honey. Now, the, the imagery is, Revelation draws its imagery all the way from the Bible. And this imagery is from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2. Same thing happens. Here's Ezekiel. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out toward me. It was a scroll which was unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll and then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. So here is John being given this Ezekiel prophecy task. Go again. You're going to do this this task and, and prophesy. And it's got that same sweet and bitter thing. It's the gospel. It is the words of God to call to repent, but it won't be received as good news. So it's a bitter sweetness to it. And then what happens through chapter 11 is this witness gets passed down. So at the end of chapter 10, I was told you must prophesy again about peoples, nations and languages. We go straight into chapter 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers. So here's the... Here is the church. And, and so John has received the, the scroll from the angel, and then he um, has gone to the church. Verse 3 of chapter 11, I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So that, it, that movement is a bit like chapter 1, isn't it, where you have Jesus and then the, the, the angel and giving the message to John, and then John talks to the churches and it's similar here and the idea of um, two witnesses it just means they are a legitimate witness so in the old testament if your witness is going to be at all credible you need two witnesses so here is uh, god's legitimate witness and they're clothed in sackcloth because the message is one of repentance that's the that's the clothing of repentance isn't it We could talk a bit more about, about numbers perhaps later on, but um, the, those numbers there, the 42 months, the 1,260 days, um, these are a sort of number which in, in the Jewish mindset would have reminded them of a very finite time of persecution. So there will be persecution, but it, but it is finite and ended. Um, we could perhaps talk about that afterwards. I think it references um, the same time that the prophet Daniel talks about so there was a period in in israel's history where that where that happened and so here it is again here's this time it's going to be the the limited persecution time they are the two olive trees the two lampstands so we know the lampstands are the churches don't we and some of this imagery there is from zachariah as well so again another kind of sidebar if you want some um, extra reading to go and have a look at at zachariah and if anyone tries to harm them, verse 5, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. And this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. 
and they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. It seems what's going on here is, is it's a, perhaps a, 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 a way to show us in imagery that there's an authority of Elijah and Moses. Do you remember Elijah um, could shut the sky and, and Moses could turn the waters into, the, into blood? So this is kind of Elijah-Moses type authority, which these witnesses have. Um, it's the authority of the gospel. And it will succeed. We know that from the previous chapter, certainly, that all the number of God's people will be there. And so it, it's as if, if you like, an invincible witness, even to the point of death. When the church, as it's witnessing in the last days, um, between Christ ascending and Christ coming back, they'll be martyrs. People will die for their faith. And we, we've known that. We've had 2,000 years of that. That will happen. But verse 11, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. So, so John then gets to see the end result. So, so yes, in this period of time, the church will witness because the judgments and the warnings have left people unrepentant. But the witness of God, his people, that will bring those who are chosen to repentance. And even if the church suffers to the point of death, where they are invincible, they rise again with the breath of the Lord. During that, in Romans chapter 10, um, Paul says this, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here is God sending his witness, the two witnesses, the legitimate witness, the authoritative witness. It is the church. So I wonder how these first century churches would, would, would read it. Well, firstly, you'd get to see what was behind your reality, wouldn't you? We thought about that, the Roman Empire. And they'd get to see, actually, no, actually, behind it, these evil and demonic forces are using all of these things. So this is not, this is not to call out certain people and say, you're of the devil or whatever, it's, it's about what's going on behind. What does God's enemy use? How is he working in all of these things to keep his people away from him? And he does it in different ways, doesn't he? It could be the oppression of Rome, or it could be the comfort of Rome. Rome will keep you safe. Great to be a Roman citizen. And as the first churches perhaps reflect on this, how will it encourage them in different ways? There are seven churches, and they're all a bit different. So perhaps if you're Smyrna and you're under persecution, well, there's encouragement. Don't, don't worry. The Lord knows, and he'll use your persecution of witness. It, it's, it, this is what you're supposed to be doing. But perhaps if you're the church in Ephesus who have lost your first love, you might be thinking, oh, crumbs, we have lost our first love, haven't we, to reach out to those around us. 
perhaps if you were the church in Laodicea, who were comfortable saying, I've got all I need. I've got my food and, and my house, and my garden. Perhaps if you're the church in Laodicea, you might be prompted to be, yeah, but I'm not, I haven't got this. I haven't got on board with this witness. And so what about us? Well, maybe that's something we can perhaps go away and reflect on. But we shouldn't be naive that the devil and all of those repulsive forces are at work behind the schemes within and using the tyranny of nations, the powerful, the rich, and so on. That is what John seems to be showing us behind the idolatry that just seems so harmless, doesn't it, to some. I was reminded of the film, um, another film reference, The Usual Suspects, I don't know if you've seen that film, but there's a wonderful quote which gets quoted a lot. And uh, one of the characters in it says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. a good trick isn't it you can see that there may be truth in that so revelation here it wakes up sleepy christians there is a war going on but it comforts and encourages frightened christians because the witness is god's plan and it will work and ultimately it will be invincible and we're part of the task here aren't we And as we resist the world and the devil's schemes behind it, well, it it may bring persecution, maybe not literal death, maybe it'll be dying to self, dying to kudos or status or ambition, but it will, that itself will bring witness, and ultimately God's witness will never fail. Verse 11 of chapter 11. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, And terror struck those who saw them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are difficult words and we don't claim to know everything about them. Pray that you would help us to um, reflect on what we have heard and to seek you and your will um, for our lives and pray that you would help us, even in the midst of what we don't understand, to witness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, which can save people from sin and hell and the devil and your judgment. Thank you that you have done all of these things for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.